Dr. Max Pemberton, NHS doctor and Daily Mail columnist, and this is part two of a special three-part podcast for Male Plus Health, where I speak to Professor Richard Schilling, President of the British Heart Rhythm Society, Professor of Cardiology and Chairman of Welbeck Heart Health in London. Welcome back, Richard. So the first question we have is, my heart starts to race and then skips a beat or two. What could be causing it? So the heart has an electrical timing system, and this consists of a little cluster of cells at the top of the heart, which is called the sinus node. And that's why normal rhythm is called sinus rhythm. And this node sends an impulse out once a second on average, but it varies enormously from person to person. And that impulse washes through the cells, making them contract. But the electrical power that would be needed to send a current through the heart passively, like a current goes through a wire, would be enormous. So what the heart does, which is really cool, is that every cell acts as its own battery. So it creates its own voltage and sends it downstream. Now, what that means is that every cell in the heart is electrically active. And what it also means is if you cut out the sinus node, something else would take over. So there's redundancy in the system. The downside of this redundancy and brilliant energy saving efficiency is that every cell is electrically active and every cell can fire off spontaneously. And so if you record an ECG in anyone for 24 hours, you will see other cells other than the sinus node fire a beat out of time. And when I get them, what I feel is a skip and then a sinking feeling like I can't get a deep enough breath and then a very strong beat. And basically what's happening there is that the beat's going along regularly, the extra beat comes in early and the heart recognises that and it recognises that it's not has had as much time to fill with blood and so it puts a compensatory pause in afterwards to give it more time to fill with blood so that the heart rate and the output are the same overall. It's just that one's shorter with less blood and one's longer with more blood. And that's the thing that gives people the symptoms. And of course, most people are completely unaware that these extra beats are happening. So presumably, the reason they become aware is that the timing's changed and it's just come in a bit earlier so that it's more obvious to you. Now, these flurries of skip beats are very common. People tend to get periods of a few weeks where they notice them more and that can be random or it can be triggered like things like viral infections so covid is another reason why people might notice their heart skipping or missing beats more than normal if you drink alcohol you'll notice them more the day after but they they can be all sorts of personal triggers the one thing that doesn't seem to be terribly reliable is coffee so there's a lot of mythology that coffee triggers heart rhythm problems, and actually there's no objective evidence that that's the case at all. Some patients tell me, yeah, it definitely does for them, but it's not a universal thing, so don't worry about giving up coffee. This is so interesting. <laughs> I haven't even done cardiology. I actually did a cardiology job, and this is, this is really fascinating. So, so is that, would we call that then an ectopic? Is that what, yeah. what that means? So ectopic is what that means. And this is a very another classical uh, thing about medicine is medicine's littered with this terminology that makes us look good. But ectopic just means in the wrong place. Same as an ectopic pregnancy means a pregnancy on the wrong place. So it's, it's terminology that you and I use, Max, that will, that's designed to make us look clever and confuse patients. And what we're really saying is exactly what it is, which is in the wrong place. That is so true. <laughs> 
Yeah, I remember. I remember this patient once coming to, coming to me, very sort of very sort of pleased with himself that he'd been off to see the surgeon, and he said, "Do you know what? I've worked out what's wrong with my itchy bum. I've got puritus ani." <laughs> <laughs> it's just the surgeon's just giving it back to him in Latin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Okay, so can stress really give you heart problems? I read recently that stress can trigger something called broken heart syndrome. Now, this I'm very interested in. So, so Richard, what's the answer? So, the, there is a very, very rare syndrome uh, called Takotsubo's cardiomyopathy, um, which is called that because the heart is said to look like a Japanese octopus pot afterwards. And it's incredibly rare. It seems to be associated with a period of extreme stress, so a bereavement, for example. Um, and you get people presenting with symptoms of heart failure and abnormal heart function um, it often will improve and um, it is not and it is very rare so we all go through stress uh, th throughout our lives and so in general stress is not directly linked to cardiology problems other than you will see people that work hard and live very stressful lives will tend to sort of not take care of themselves. So they'll grab food, they'll, they'll eat badly, they won't exercise, they'll drink alcohol to try and deal with it. So in that way, stress can be indirectly linked to cardiac disease because people just don't look after themselves. But Takotsubo's cardiomyopathy is the only very rare condition where stress can be directly related to a heart problem. So don't panic. It's extremely unusual. Don't get stressed about it because it's not going to, it's not, stress is not going to cause you to have that. It's very unlikely. But then what I suppose, because from a, from a psychiatry point of view, I'm interested in this phenomenon that happens or that's been noticed. Um, and I wonder, I'd be interested in your opinion on it, where we know that rates of death are increased after, you know, the year after somebody's been bereaved. Is that just a, an incidental finding, I think? Or is, there, or is there some basis to that? I think it's a fairly consistent picture that's been acknowledged a number of times. And I, I know that you've also written about the uh, mortality associated with living in difficult relationships as well. So the stress associated with that. So um, there's clearly a factor there, but we just don't understand it. Mm. But many people say to me, oh, should I give up my job? Should I cut back or do this? Well, cut back because you want to cut back, um, but don't cut back because you're worried about your heart because for some people they thrive on the stress you know they they love that buzz of working hard and, and living a full life so i think it's all do it for other reasons not because of your heart and i've often wondered if it's kind of complicated um because you know maybe will be that you know your partner is um is helping to look after you in some way you know they're kind of encouraging you to eat better they're encouraging you when you've got you know gripes and pains to go to the doctor and actually when your partner is that then dies then you don't have that influence and then actually that's what causes rather than it being something physical like a broken heart I, I think you're absolutely right i think there's lots of confounding factors there you're absolutely correct in that yeah does playing sport cause sudden cardiac death I'm worried about my grandson as one of his football friends died from it. And you hear of people dying from heart problems during marathons. Can he get tested? So this has been a debate around the world for many years. What is the value of screening people that do uh, sports and particularly uh, professional and extreme sports? And um, 
overall, there are some countries that do it. So Italy is an example. And there are many countries that don't. And the reason that they don't do it is because it is so rare to pick up something that then changes your prognosis that actually the money that you spend on the screening isn't worth it. There's also another really important point about this in that screening doesn't give you a definite answer. So if you have a slightly different ECG or a slightly different ultrasound, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're at risk of sudden death or, or a cardiac problem, but it can mean that you're then taken away from that sporting activity. So it's very rare in medicine, as you know, that we can say this definitely means this is going to happen in the future. So there is a lot of collateral damage with screening in that people are made aware of a difference in their heart that may be of no relevance to them at all. And then they face uh, potentially a lifetime of worry and regular checkups when actually it's going to make no difference to them at all. Um, a patient of mine who I can reveal because he's written about it publicly, normally I wouldn't talk about a patient, um, but Fabrice Moamba collapsed uh, while playing football for Bolton at, at Spurs, a very famous case. And he had been screened regularly. And when we went back and looked at the screening, there wasn't really anything that we would have said gave the alert. So even when you're screened on a regular basis as a professional footballer, it can miss uh, a condition that can make you vulnerable to this problem. So what I would reassure um, the, the questioner is it is really, really rare to collapse and die as a result of professional sport. Again, that's why it makes the news. By and large and in general, people are much better off doing sport and physical activity. Statistically, they're going to be living longer than if they don't. And so um, if it was me, I probably wouldn't get screening. But I know that many professional um, organisations organise screening because there's a, a liability issue uh, associated with it more than anything else. You just touched upon ECGs. Can you just explain what's the difference between an ECG, like an EKG and an yeah. What's, what's the difference between all these different kind of tests that people do on the heart? So an ECG is an electrical recording or, or a recording of the electrical system and activation of the heart. So you put electrodes on the skin and because this ECG is very sensitive, it can actually see what's going on with the electrical activity of the heart. So it's a very simple, very cheap way of looking at the way the electrical wave passes through the heart. It is not very sensitive, so it's, it's, it, it's a fairly crude way of looking at it, but it is, sorry, it's not very specific. It's, it's a very crude way of looking at the heart electrical system, but it's quite sensitive. So if there's any difference at all, it's very likely that an ECG will pick it up. But what an ECG won't tell you is, is that really a problem? And if so, exactly what is that problem? So if you have an abnormal ECG, you then may go on to have more tests, of which an echocardiogram is one. And an echocardiogram is an ultrasound of the heart, very similar to the ultrasound that women may have when they're pregnant, that allows you to directly visualise the way the heart muscle is moving and the way the heart valves are moving. And that allows you to see whether the heart muscle is normal or moving normally or not. So again a very low-risk, pain-free um, test that is often used as part of these screening processes. But none of these tests are 100% accurate and none of them will give you a 100% answer one way or the other. So you use different tests, presumably, depending on what 
uh, the, the symptoms are. So if you if it's something you're worried about the electrical kind of side of things, then you might look at the you might think about an ECG. Whereas if it's something physical like a deformity or abnormality physically um, to do with the actual anatomy, then maybe an echo is more useful. Is that, is that right, broadly speaking? Well, well we'd probably do an ECG in everyone just because it's so easy to do. But if someone comes to me with a history of palpitation, what they're really interested in is not why am I having the palpitation, but as if something that can kill me or do me harm. So actually, I'm less interested in what's the cause of the palpitation. What I'm really interested in is do they have a normal ECG? And if they do, it's very unlikely they have a rare inherited electrical problem of the heart. And do they have a normal echo? i.e. their heart function is normal and they don't have a lot of scarring in the heart. And if those two things are normal, I can say to them, the probability of this being something dangerous or harmful is incredibly small. So whatever it is, we now don't need to start, we don't need to worry about it. We're now dealing with a pain in the neck, not a, not a, um, a danger. Okay. Uh, the next question uh, is from a woman in her 50s. Since I started going through the menopause, I've been getting palpitations. I'm terrified I'm going to have a heart attack. I don't drink much coffee, perhaps two cups a day, but should I cut, cut it out to see if that helps or is it a myth that coffee triggers you? So coffee generally is a, is a, is a bit of a myth. Um, there's no harm in her missing it for a week and seeing if it makes any difference because for some patients it does, but in general it doesn't make any difference. It's very common for people to get palpitations uh, caused by ectopic beats and one of the triggers for ectopic beats is hormonal change. So women may experience ectopics when they're pregnant or find that their ectopics get better when they get pregnant. They may find that it's related to menstrual cycle. And the menopause is a very common trigger for an increase in these skipped and missed beats. Importantly, <clears throat> the electrical system, um, let, me, let me just rephrase that. So the plumbing system, which is the coronary arteries, which are the arteries that feed the blood into the heart muscle, if that blocks and cuts off the blood supply, that's a heart attack. And the heart attack causes damage to the heart muscle. It can disturb the electrical system or the electrical wave as it passes through that damaged heart muscle, and that can lead to a cardiac arrest. So a heart attack can lead to a cardiac arrest. Of course, an electrical difference, like your heart skipping and missing a beat, can't make a blockage in that artery. So heart rhythm problems can't cause a heart attack, but heart attacks can sometimes cause heart rhythm problems and cardiac arrest. So people often get those terminologies mixed up, but I hope that makes it a little bit clearer. Yeah, that's much clearer. Yeah, I think even doctors sometimes get confused about that. So yeah. That that's very, it's all these kind of terminology. I think that's part of the difficulty in medicine. It's all these kind of words um, and and we sort of, and lots of them we sort of hear and don't necessarily fully understand what they mean. Um, so just to, sorry, just to finish off with that lady. So don't worry uh, if it's your heart skipping and missing a beat. You can relax, and it's likely to get better as the hormonal changes settle down. That's all we've got time for today. In the meantime, if you want more from Professor Schilling, he is at LondonAFCentre.com and OneWellBeck.com. And you can find us on Spotify, Apple and Google. Whilst you're there, please leave us a review. And don't forget to sign up for the Daily Mail Plus briefings at mailplus.co.uk.